0: Welcome to PCTY Talks, a new podcast from the human capital management software provider, Paylocity. I'm your host, Sherry Simpson, and as an HR program manager at Paylocity, I will be navigating our journey together as we explore bite-sized topics around HR thought leadership, compliance, diversity and inclusion, and product knowledge. If you have an idea for a future podcast topic, please drop me a note at PCTYTalks at Paylocity.com. On today's episode, we discuss recruiting for a unique group of candidates, including people on the autism spectrum, veterans, and students and interns being recruited through campus recruiting. Joining me in the discussion today is Carly Erlbeck, Manager of Talent Acquisition with Paylocity, Dave Friedman, CEO and Founder of Autonomy Works, and Rodrigo Levy, Executive Director and Founder of Code Platoon. Okay, Carly Dave and Rod, thank you so much for joining me today. I'm really excited about our conversation. And as I was thinking about preparing for today, you know, one of the things that's really on my mind is that we're seeing more and more companies commit to improving diversity within their workforce. Uh, Recruiters are going to be called upon to turn these commitments into actions fairly soon. So I wanted to start with you, Carly, and see if you could talk a little bit about how you've seen this shift happening in the industry.
1: Yeah, and I think, you know, in the last year, we've seen a bigger shift even um, more frequently with, um, and then now with COVID coming, um, you're having more and more companies um, really focus on that diversity piece, but not just diversity of ethnicity, but also diversity of thought and just bringing in a lot of different perspectives. We've seen it a lot. Um, actually at Paylasti, Um For us, it means that our recruiters are being asked to looking at sources that we wouldn't necessarily have provided a specific job posting for in the past. We've started really actively looking for more... Uh, so whether it's going to a specific diversity um, organization or um, looking at diverse schools to go to or divert, um, different schools even in general to go to geography-based, um, we've, we've noticed a lot of different Um, areas there. So the more that the pipeline becomes diverse, we truly believe that there's a better chance of getting that exact right hire that is diverse and that those diverse teams win.
0: I really like that you touched base on the definition of diversity, not being just ethnic diversity. Um, You know, one of the things that I think a lot about is that definition of uh, differences in life experience. So those that are listening who have been with us a little while as dedicated listeners know that I have a son in the military. So I'm really passionate about learning what his future is going to look like in the workforce when he becomes a civilian again. Um, So I want to pose this question next to you, Rod. What is a unique what is unique about the veteran population that hiring managers and talent acquisition professionals really should hone in on and consider?
2: Uh, First of all, thanks to your son for his service. Um, That's wonderful. And I think what's really important to note is that when you are looking to hire a veteran or you're considering a veteran versus a non-veteran, many of these veterans have already held pretty meaningful leadership experiences, and done so at a very early age. So they bring a lot of the characteristics you might want in a young leader. Um, they can step into a leadership void. They can take the ball and run with it. They know how to work well in teams. Um, they understand that you are working together towards a common goal. Um, and also something that I didn't really know, I didn't serve, but I've since learned is that there's a very strong sense of collaboration when you are in the military, not in the traditional way. I mean, you obviously in the, tr- in the obvious way that you work together in the moment of solving a problem or working against a common enemy, but also that from the the first time you start your job, you are already preparing the person to to train your replacement. So in terms of passing down knowledge and preventing knowledge gaps, uh, and like we teach software development for software developers, uh, if you work in a silo, it's just an absolutely terrible habit. But a lot of young developers do that because they don't know how to pass along knowledge and information to the person who's working alongside them or soon come up behind them. Um, So teamwork, grit, um, really great characteristics out of young leaders that are coming out, uh, and helping, you know, really just terrific assets in the workforce.
0: I never thought about the point you just made about being able to pass along knowledge. And I, I mean, obviously we're the company I work for, Paylocity is a tech company. So, um, you totally nailed it when it came to developers kind of being hands down and focusing. So it's a really unique perspective to think about when you are recruiting and bringing veterans in, um. For you, Dave, likewise, people with autism bring a whole nother layer of diversity to the workforce. And in preparing for our discussion today, I did some research just on famous people on the autism spectrum and was reminded over and over again of the amazing talent that often goes unrealized. So from your perspective, what's unique about people with autism that hiring managers and again, talent acquisition professionals really should consider?
3: It's, it's very hard to talk about autism as a single thing. I mean, it truly is a spectrum and different people along the spectrum have different talents and different skills and need different levels of support. So you have everything from uh, people who need support with daily living skills all the way to the other end of the spectrum where there are people, you know, I'm sure, working in your company and on your teams that um, have autism and don't need any supports at all. But there's a significant subset, or significant portion of the people with autism have exceptional skills in, in really in three areas. The first is their ability to focus on quality and data, almost, a, almost an obsession with accuracy and correctness. The second is a, a strong process discipline, both in terms of how they think about solving problems, but also how they work on a day-to-day basis. And finally, a very strong commitment to the job and to the role they're in, and to uh, being excellent at the job that they've been they've been assigned to do at that time.
0: Those are such important skills to have in the workforce, um, especially that attention to detail uh, in in the way you described it. You know, with today's generations and so quickly moving on from one thing to another, its that's definitely a skill that um, the workforce is looking for. Carly, what about, um, as I mentioned, younger generations, what about um, those that are kind of in your wheelhouse? So you are, are one of our internal recruiters in our talent acquisition team, and you focus really on campus recruiting. So what's unique to that
1: group? Yeah, um, so the early career You know, talent side of things is anything with interns or new college grads coming out, and really besides injecting energy into a company um, and giving you that fresh, um, fresh kind of uh, room. Reminder of what it was like when you started your career. Um, You know, Gen Z really brings in a lot of really positives into the the workplace. So as you look through, um, you know, 27% of the population is Gen Z. So there's a lot of them and they're coming. So you need to be ready for it. But then they're also more racially and ethnically diverse than previous generations. Almost half of them are minorities. So they are um, a lot more in tune and looking for that diversity um, throughout an organization. They'll bring that fresh perspective to the workplace um, where they're they're focused on technology. If you think about it, they've never really known life without a cell phone or technology that is in their house. In their hands, uh, you know, the average Gen Zer got their first smartphone before their 12th birthday, which to me is crazy because I'm a millennial and I got mine in college. So um, it's just funny to to think about um, it before 12 having um, a smartphone out of, you know, not just a cell phone. Um through tax, but they also highly value that authentic um, person interaction, that in-person interaction. So being authentic as you work with um, early career is huge and very important to them. Um, They're more likely to be enrolled in college, actually, than previous generations. So you're going to see more um, continuing education early career folks out there as well. Um, And then just really, it's a great opportunity to grow your talent uh, without any preconceived notions. You train them how you want them to be. and. Sponges that will eat it up and give you some suggestions on how to improve. Um, It's always a fresh perspective.
0: It's interesting the statistic that you shared about um, that generation being enrolled in college I think that's why in the HR space the HR benefit space we're seeing those additions of um, student loan resources like we never saw before either payment plans or um, forgiveness and stuff so it's very interesting to kind of connect the dots there so on the flip side of our conversation right you guys have shared You know, all the wonderful things about the populations that you're really passionate about, but there's definitely barriers to entry to the workforce that each one of the populations we're going to talk about um, has to overcome. So, Rod, I'd hope to start with you and talk a little bit about um, the barriers that veterans face entering the workforce and what recruiters can do to address those barriers.
2: Yeah, thanks. Um, So, the main barrier that I understand veterans facing as they return to the civilian workforce is that when they go off to be deployed, when they join the military, they get trained in a specific job or set of jobs. So they may have worked logistics, they may have worked accounting, but they may also held roles that don't translate directly back into a civilian equivalent. So if they were a computer programmer, which there aren't many, or if they were an accountant, then they can come back and apply those skills. But for many of them, the roles they had involve problem-solving leadership, et cetera, but they can't come back to an HR professional and say, by the way, I was a gunnery sergeant, um, and so what job do you have for me? And there's so many skills that that individual will bring to the table, but the HR workforce isn't trained to understand what the roles were in the military and i mean it's a daunting task so there's all kinds of skills translation um, tools and software Uh, so i would encourage hr professionals if they have a role or roles they want to fill and they think a veteran would be something they'd like to attract um, understanding what the skills that are required for that role are probably more relevant than the action than trying to find that role as it was in the military um, so that's probably the, this big skills translation gap seems to be the biggest hurdle that I see for a lot of veterans trying to reintegrate.
0: Yeah, and what about you, Dave, and, and people with autism? What barriers do you see facing that population?
3: The unemployment rate of adults with autism is around 80%. So there's definitely a huge number of barriers facing uh, facing the autistic population. I think there are a couple of key things. The first, one, actually, similar to what Rod was saying is They have non-traditional backgrounds because the unemployment rate is so high, it's likely that an autistic employee employee, um, or candidate has had long periods of unemployment, has maybe been working in jobs uh, below the skill level that you might expect from their educational achievement. And uh, then that's the first issue, is their background isn't gonna look exactly like what you're used to. Uh, second, the interview process is not well suited for people with autism. Um, many have a difficulty with social interactions, and the um, interview process, both on the phone and in person, is a very social experience. Um, you're one-on-one with an, another person, and that doesn't um, often bring out the best in uh, people with autism. So, I think as as HR professionals are starting to look at hiring people with autism, they need to. Look and very similar again to what Rod said, focus on the skills that they have developed and the skills that they have in interview for their talents and um, not to let the sort of things that come around it get in the way of that.
0: So, Dave, I, I know we didn't prepare this next question, so um, hopefully I don't take you too off guard, but I'm curious if you have any suggestions for those listening on how to or, or tips on how to conduct a Zoom interview with somebody on the spectrum, some some pointers on um, that we can bring back to to that space. Yeah.
3: Uh, first of all, I think in, in some respects, uh, don't do a Zoom interview. I think a, a phone interview or... for. For an initial contact with a, a person with autism, a phone interview is, is going to be much better because there's less um, interpersonal uh, information that they have to try to interpret. And so it's a much simpler interaction. And once they've started to develop some comfort um, on the phone with the person, then opening it up to a video where, you can, um, where some of their anxiety has been lowered, they already know a little bit more what to expect. Uh, similar things, telling people what the... Um, pattern of the interview is going to be. So, you know, first we're going to talk about your educational background and then we're going to talk about your prior prior jobs. So anything that helps them know what to expect is going to make them uh, able to perform much better.
0: Great. I really appreciate that. And, um, I also appreciate saying don't do Zoom. I love that. I think that's such a, a practical um, thing where, you know, we're inundated with the Zoom or, or video chat, whatever, you know, tool you're using for that. Um, Carly, as I think about campus recruiting, I think I'm going to ask the question a little bit differently. Um, when, when you think about campus recruiting, what things do we need to consider when conducting campus recruiting or developing those who we've hired into intern programs?
1: Yeah, um, I think... It- you know, one of the the big things is that these candidates, early career candidates, don't have the experience. So most HR professionals or or hiring managers are used to saying, tell me about a time when you did exactly what I want you to do. Um, Instead, it's tell me about a time you met with a group of people and you learned X, or you did Y, or you failed. And you open it up to examples from the school um, or um, work experience that isn't exactly translating. Maybe they've worked at a restaurant and they can talk to that experience or they've been in a class project where they had a team member not pulling their weight. They have those, they have experiences in the skills that you're looking at. It's just not going to translate perfectly um, to the experience or that, that job that you're doing. So a lot of it is opening up, what can they answer? How can they answer these questions? Also, looking at potential. So, how, how is what they have done in the past? How can that translate? How is that? Um, how do they have that potential to get to where you need them to do? To get to the neat, surprising thing that I always, from my hiring managers with interns and with early career. Um, they're often coming back to me going, I don't have enough for them to do um, because they catch on. They learn so quickly. um, They're used to, they're coming out of an educational space. They're used to learning and acting on it. So they do learn and move forward a lot faster than most people expect. So also having some backup plans, um, backup projects, um, and other things like that, but treating them like they were part of your team is the best way to go about it.
0: I love that. I I mean, I see that. So, so, you know, my kids are um, one's in the military, one's in college, and one's in high school. And that speed to learn. Um, amazes me. You know, my uh, my middle guy picked up guitar just a year ago, and I hear him play in the basement, and I'm like, I know I didn't give you lessons, so um, it's all that self-taught, you know, jump on YouTube. So uh, before we jump off the, co- the call, though, I would hope uh, that we could get a little bit more information. So I'm going to start, Rod, with you and the organization you work with, Code Platoon. If you could tell us a little bit about the organization, what it does for veterans, and then if somebody's really interested, how could they get a hold of you or somebody in the organization?
2: You bet. So, Code Platoon is what is known as a nonprofit coding bootcamp for veterans and military spouses and active duty. What that means is that we have a nonprofit. We have a 14-week training program that's immersive and trains a deeply interested. A uh, veteran or military spouse to become a professional junior software developer uh, after about a thousand hours of training that we give them, and then we partner with tech-enabled companies who are looking to hire veterans or just looking to hire good junior software developer talent. Uh, so what we end up finding is a lot of companies that have veterans as part of their DNI initiatives uh, find that we are a one-stop shop to be able to find well-trained junior talent who are who fit that DNI uh, bucket.
0: And if somebody wants to get in touch, can they get in touch with you or do you, where should we direct them?
2: Yes, thank you. Uh, I can be reached at rod at codeplatoon.org.
0: Love it. And I will include in our show notes for those listening, um, a link to Code Platoon, also to Autonomy Works, which uh, is the organization Dave works for. Dave, I'd love if you could share a little bit about your organization and how they could get in touch with you or somebody in your organization as well.
3: Yeah, probably probably the easiest way to think about autonomy works is as an outsourcing firm. So we take on back office operations work for large companies around the country. And we've built a, a business system that unlocks a lot of those talents that I talked about earlier that are possessed by people by a lot of people with autism, focus on quality, strong process orientation to do transaction processing, data management, quality assurance. Uh, type tasks for for companies. And we have about 40 people now and working out of our office. Well, not working out of our office right now, but out of our office in the Chicago suburbs. Uh, The best way to reach us is probably really through our website, which is www.autonomy.works. And you should be able to learn a little bit more about what we're doing and get in touch with me through there.
0: Awesome. Well, Dave, Rod, and Carly, thank you so much for such a great conversation. And for those listening, I'll make sure I include a bunch of links in the show notes. Um, As always, I appreciate your time. Thank you.